Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, can you fit me in? How's everybody doing today? Welcome back, welcome back. I hope everything was an amazing, amazing week you had. I uh, want to thank our previous guests on our lab podcast. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to, to hear Dr. Rashar, uh, she was amazing, took time out. Very busy lady, very busy lady. Took the time out to share a little of her experiences with us. Uh, just being in technology and uh, the flow in which she uh, excelled in, some of the barriers she overcame was quite amazing. Uh, if you get a chance, please go check out her books on Amazon. They're available. She has three, and she said she was currently writing five more. So, you know, sometimes when you have, when <laughs> I've known Dr. Richard a good while, sometimes I feel like I am underachieving. <laughs> but that's why she's uh, also a part of our software uh, company, helping us uh, find new avenues to uh, give us advice on how to, we can use uh, Can You Fit Me In to go in a couple other industries. It will be available and we're going to go into the healthcare industry next with our software. So with her, with people like that on your team, you can't lose. You can't lose. Lord knows we don't want to lose. Lord knows that uh, we don't lose. So uh, today, today I want to talk to you guys about something, uh, something more involved. Uh, we're going to have another guest the following week. But today I want to talk to you guys on something about uh, uh, basically how I decided to create Can You Fit Me In software. Uh, I think uh, part of the tech startup, part of the purity of the tech startup just in itself is the, uh, overcoming that adversity like we discussed uh, the scorpions and the frog last week. Uh, adversity in itself is always there. It's never going to go anywhere. But when you invest in yourself, like education, networking, uh, money, these resources that you invest in yourself, however small they may seem at the time, uh, they can yield a huge result. They can use a very big result. Uh, I think that some of the my earliest, earliest challenges, just thinking that I could create a customized software to solve a problem uh, like waiting in a salon for some people may not be able to relate to it, but it is a rapid, rampant or rampant problem going on in the industry. And you would ask, like, why would I even create such a thing? Well, when I was younger, uh, I worked for one of the biggest hair product distributors in the world. I worked for the people that did distributed actually soft sheen hair products. And soft sheen hair products for our listeners out there that don't know was, was one of the biggest black hair beauty product uh, companies in the world. They created Carefree Curl. And if you don't know what the Carefree Curl is, uh, all you got to do is look at Coming to America. It's a scene in there with the Carefree Curl <laughs> constantly around the movie Coming to America. But during that time, uh, it was quite a successful company. It was uh, doing really, really well. And I worked for the distribution company that uh, distributed the product around the uh, United States of America. And uh, I ended up working in sales. And as I worked in sales for a while, I started seeing uh, this issue when going in the salon, which I had, which even myself, I had been conditioned to even in a barbershop and didn't know it. And that condition was uh, me going to call in the barber, making an appointment like, you know, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., and going there and waiting and making an appointment for 9 a.m., not getting into the chair until 10 a.m. or 
make an appointment at 10 a.m., not getting into your chair until 11.30 a.m. So this issue, um, a lot of people can relate to that deal with booth renters, you know, people that that rent their own booths, they schedule themselves. And hairstylists and barbers, they schedule people that way on top of people because they have a rampant problem themselves. They have what's called no-shows. They schedule an appointment and people just don't bother to call them. They don't. And that hairstylist is there or that barber's there and they're losing money, right? They're there on time and you're not there on time. So in my software, uh, I created a feature which allows them to communicate without talking. Uh, it allows them to tell these people that they're running late or you're running late. And just in that self, that little feature alone saves them a ton of money. Uh, other softwares out there, they ask the stylist for their uh, or the client for the card. And that makes them commit a firm commit to the appointment. So you have to pay and you show up. Uh, that's fine, you know, for those softwares. But I have more of a software built around communication than just uh, snagging your card. And then often sometimes the client wants um the hairstylist has to keep up with that payment. You know, if they didn't make that appointment, do they get credit for the next appointment they show or do they just get 50 percent, you know, uh, taken off their card because they weren't able to show people have problems. I don't question other people's software. I just know our methodology is around uh, communicating. So anyway, as I figured out what problem I was going to solve, I had to immerse myself in the technology that I was going to use to solve the problem. So the first time I built uh, Can You Fit Me an app, I built it twice, by the way. The first time I built it, I uh, got a team of developers and we did it for a fixed cost and we built it. But uh, it took me some years because back then software was just like enormously expensive. So I had dropped like $30,000 in the software. Yeah, you know, and um, I, it took me uh, maybe two years to build it the first time. Uh, so I put like 30 grand into it and um, I got myself all worked up thinking, OK, now I'm ready and all this stuff. But at the same time, I was going back to school to get my uh, master's degree in IT. So I get myself all worked up into it. And then when I'm into the middle of it, everything's cool. I bring on uh, a project manager, uh, became a good friend of mine, and um, I'm thinking I'm ready to go to hit the market. And then something happened. Something happens a lot in technology. That's what happens. <laughs> you think you're ready to go and something happens. Well, what happened was everything went mobile. Mobile websites, apps, everything. So I could see this as being a barrier. But right at that time, every website you went to wasn't didn't have a mobile website. So I thought that I was going to launch the product, force the hairstylist to just deal with the expanding of the screen on the phone. You know how you go to the websites and you got to make the screen, you know, the website shrinking back and forth. <laughs> I thought that I was going to force these hairstylists to to do that because, you know, you can use our software and it was free, you know, so you're lucky to use it. <laughs> which is not true, not true. But uh, we, I brought on also in my company, a millennial, uh, a young guy. Uh, and he had a lot of potential. He's also an army veteran. 
and I bought him on and I really bought him on. Uh, he wasn't a developer yet. He was getting his developing skills up and I brought him on and I really brought him on thinking, you know what? This guy is going to be like a millennial truth, giving me that curveball because I don't know that many millennials. So uh, young people like that. So I wanted to kind of hear it. Uh, what have you. So he's evaluating the software. He's around or what have you. And he's not at that time, he's not nowhere near on the tech level as we are, but he is tech enough to understand, like, you know, what he likes and doesn't like. And he told us that um, he basically told us in a candy, crisp voice that the software was useless. You know, but he didn't convey to us the reason why the software was useless, like a clear way. He pointed out some things, you know, that would have you. But as we move forward, uh, we kind of wrapped our head around like, OK, are we going to patch this software and make it mobile or what are we going to do? You know, and we saw some patches and fixes, you know, and and we added it up and it just was financially going to always need a patch and a fix. And the upgrades we wanted to do um, wasn't going to work. And we wrote it in an older code. We wrote it in like PHP. You know, people still use it, you know, so we wrote it in an older code. So we just start seeing just the the downgraded um, avenues upon this process. So I turned to my I turned to my partners, you know, and, and later on by then I had some investors. You know, I, I had some investors come along. And I turn to one of my main partners and I tell him, you know, uh, I think we're going to have to start over. For stylists, their time is their money. Stylists and barbers are looking to make better management of their time. Perhaps they're looking to sell things like booth space or find better hair care products or even new clients fast. You see, clients, stylists, distributors, manufacturers are looking for less uncertainty in their daily schedule with each other. Well, uncertainty just met certainty. Can You Fit Me In is a cutting edge platform designed to help the beauty industry connect in real time. With Can You Fit Me In, everyone can choose to reschedule or cascade schedule their appointments based on alerts when anyone is running late. So when you know, everyone can know. And we didn't stop there. Can You Fit Me In also helps stylists or barbers to bypass overpriced product stores and order direct from a master distributors or manufacturers allowing them to have quality products at cheaper prices. They can even order products and have them delivered on demand with Uber. I know, wow, right? Got vacant booth space? We got you. We help you buy and sell direct to salon or stylist. So what do you say? Can we fit you in? Visit canyoufitmein.com to get started. Yeah, you should have seen his voice. His voice was like, start over. Are you serious? But he wasn't like negative though. He was like, start over, are you serious? And then I was like, yeah. He was like, let's do it. <laughs> so now, you know, we done burned through like 30 grand, you know, so now we gotta like start over, right? So before I started over, I did some unique, I, I started reevaluating, um, different ways to do it this time, you know. And then as we were doing it, we already expected that most of the market wanted an app. 
as well. So you will still see softwares out there with websites and have mobile websites, but they don't have apps. And the reason they don't have apps like an Android app or iOS app, which we have both, by the way, you can go to can you fit, type in can you fit me in as one word, one solid word, it'll pop up in Android or in Apple's iStore. But the reason we don't, um, well, the reason we didn't have the the app before and all that stuff is the price, the price. So like when you build a website, you, I'm on a database website or what have you, you know, it has one price, right? You have custom technology in it and we have custom code that I put in there, custom code, other developers as well helped us uh, establish in there. And uh, those customizations, they nickel and dime you for significant amounts of money. So while we were putting our money into into it, uh, what have you, we always knew that we're going to have to have an integrated platform. And every time you build a a native app on someone's phone, a native app means the information is stored on someone's phone. Uh, that's how sometimes you use your phone. You say, oh, this app sucks. Well, sometimes you need to check your space on your phone <laughs> or your Wi-Fi. Because sometimes, a lot of times, it's really you don't have any space. You got like no space left and you just complain about the app and your phones are really, really old and you're complaining about the app. Well, anyway, we um, we had to build two apps plus a new platform. So how did we tackle this? Well, app can cost you anywhere like on the low end, depending on what you wanted to do. If it's something like ours, let's just say ballpark, just the app alone, not the new site. Let's just say it's another you know, 15 to 30 grand, somewhere up in there, and you got to do it twice. So let's just say $60,000, $70,000 for two apps, right? And that don't include the software, which would be significantly more, right? So how do you wrap your mind around this if you're trying to start you a tech business? <laughs> how do you do it, right? So uh, I just took it upon myself to start building customizing it day for day. And one way you can do it is you can find you a partner, a tech partner with a skill set that believes in your idea and will help you. You can use their technical services, their custom developer services, depending on if they're a back-end developer, front-end developer, depending which you can partner with them. And which is an equity kind of thing where they believe in your idea and they can share your idea and they'll help you build it on that side. And your job on the other side, of course, is to raise capital, do the business side. They believe in your idea, right? That's what a part of a perfect team would evolve in. But the reality is, a lot of times, developers don't operate that way. Developers don't want shares of apps normally. You know, they really don't. Very few want that. They want their money because they make money quick by uh, charging people for for their services. Okay, that's what they how they make their money. So. I decided to build the apps uh, as much as I can by myself. I learned how to build them from scratch. SDK, bam, boom, bye. Third party SAS, software as a service, bam, boom, bye. I learned how to manipulate the technology to achieve my goal. And then I brought in specialists to um, do some things. Now, uh, I'm going to fast forward. We moved to a point in the application why I, I was wondering, like, why don't all these beauty apps all the time have like payment pieces in them, you know, where you can pay the stylist and 
Uh, stylist can pay, client can pay the stylist. And I learned a lot. So I used to be part of a tech incubator. I was part of IBM's tech incubator. And I also was part of one called WorldPay. Uh, WorldPay had a business processing um, incubator, which they taught you how to do merchant processing uh, through your applications. You could become a partner. And I became a partner. Our company became a partner. And we learned how to process money. I learned so much about uh, security information and uh, processing money, uh, the decentralization of it and everything. So I um, wanted to connect my software with the ability to connect money. And that's we did that with the API connection. So that's basically we use a third party processor and they connected it to our application to process the money thereby giving you the client the ability to take cash, you know? So that was a big deal. That piece alone took us probably a year and a half, one year and a half just to get that piece in. And it took a year and a half <laughs> because technology, <clears throat> excuse me, technology started changing again. And we needed a technology that they did certain things in our app to give us the data that we wanted. At the same time, it, it, it had to give you the services you needed in a mobile type way, right? For the end consumer, uh, like the client, the ability to, you know, put in a dollar amount, leave a tip, get a receipt. That seems like all fine and dandy. But on the back end, on the merchant side, uh, the merchant needs the ability, of course, to see the transaction, put in a dollar amount that they want for the service and also see the transaction confirmed. So that meant in our software, we had to build out a lot of customized settings so both sides could see uh, what they wanted. The issue, the issue was we didn't have that developer in-house with that capability. So I went through countless developers that said they could do it. Every developer I talked to automatically was like, yeah, $10,000, I could do it. But they had never done it. <laughs> so if a developer ever tells you they want $10,000, don't do it. Most seasoned project managers in technology, just like, I don't care if you're not in technology, if you're building a house, you normally set up, um, benchmarks and these benchmarks you set up for projects and when a, a vendor reaches these benchmarks you pay them out right developers have all types of ways they want to they want 50 percent down they, you know they do all kinds of things right but that doesn't matter what they do it matters what you want right so i ended up first hiring this i'm just going to tell you about this one developer i had this one developer to do it and um, they could not do it. So I tried to use our in-house developer who helped, you know, help design our database. And they ended up actually, uh, instead of saying they couldn't do it, you know, I thought it was just a matter of them reading some technical documentation. They struggled with it. It kind of really intimidated them and they ended up leaving. <laughs> they ended up leaving in the, you know, they ended up leaving us and that um, 
they didn't end up leaving us because of that, but they ended up leaving us to go work, uh, work in a, a bigger company, you know, where they could just do what they do. They, they didn't want to learn payment integration, payment process integration. They didn't want to learn it. So we ended up uh, later, years later, finding a developer that hadn't done it, but the developer project cycle with the benchmarks and stuff like that met our financial uh, numbers that we were willing to take the risk with. And not only that, the developer was really, really engaged during the process. So it wasn't one developer, they were a company and they had a project manager and they were a developer and it was a specialist in a lot of things. And they understood the code that we wrote, wrote our software in. So it wasn't like they had already proven projects that we can kind of see that this really wasn't a far leap to get this piece done. So they ended up getting it done. They ended up getting it done and exceeding all my expectations. And um, they, they met their benchmarks like bam, boom, bow. And, you know, uh, I even had some money left over from the project. <laughs> And then they were like, you got money left over here. Um, what do you want to do? <laughs> and then I realized I met an honest developer, right? <laughs> so those you gotta save those, you gotta say those guys like corners because like I said back in the day, like developers will bill you out in billable hours, right? So I ended up um, using that developer and getting that payment piece done. And then we were moved on to the actual app, like the app itself. Uh, this did not include the developer. So I ended up building both apps myself the way I wanted them built and uh, launched them on the iStore and app uh, Android store. And um, that was that piece. But I think God, like I said, sometimes God says stuff isn't right for you at that time. God was telling me while I was sitting around all that time starting over that it just wasn't right for me at that time. And I actually used that time investing in myself, going back to school, getting more experience and consulting with the government and everything and um, learning a lot more. And I was able to basically uh, create the process, which I would have had to outsource um, that way. Being a front end developer myself and a middleware developer myself and a back end developer myself eventually uh, paid off to a point, but I am not a full stack developer yet. <laughs> so you still always are going to need that expert, expert person. So I say that to say that in your endeavor to build technology in a, as an, in a minority setting when you're underfunded, you have to find like-minded scenarios where you are part of the solution. I said before, the yes is in you. You have to find the opportunities and the situations where you can thrive. Uh, and if you don't want to learn technology, I do not suggest you build a app. I do not suggest you burn through money and just say, oh, I'm going to build this awesome app and burn through money. If you happen to have disposable income, definitely. Why not? I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot of people have done it, you know, people that have money. But building an app does not guarantee your success. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And then you're missing out on one key thing. As we are focusing all that time on building a technology, a key thing is missed. You have to, at the same time, be building out the marketing side. 
And that marketing side is how you're going to penetrate the market. A um, venture cap dude told me to penetrate the market pretty much with any application, not just technology or service or brand. It might take up to half a million dollars to penetrate the market without like free uh, free advertising or something or basically going viral, which 99% of applications don't go viral. So uh, to penetrate the market. So it might take up half a million dollars. Everybody just doesn't have a half a million dollars to penetrate the market. But it depends on what market you're trying to penetrate. If you're trying to penetrate a local community market, well, that's not going to take you half a million dollars to penetrate your neighborhood market. That's going to take you some smart marketing, perhaps marketing inside your Facebook ad groups or uh, locally. That's you can do that, achieve it that way. Uh, if you're trying to penetrate a big market, well, you got to get creative. And we got creative. We currently are running television ads on TV. I mean, on YouTube. Eventually, it'll also be Hulu. We also have billboards. We have digital billboards out there all across the country, a national billboard campaign. So be on the lookout for those KUFitMeIn.com uh, billboards. I'm paying a lot for them. <laughs> so, you know, hey, do me a favor. Leave me a message voicemail if you see one while you're driving. Leave it on this radio show. I really appreciate it. So I know they're out there. I got pictures of them and stuff like that. But it's still real cool when some people, somebody says they've seen them and just lets me know they're running. I can see the tech things, but I would like to hear feedback from the audience. And then um, we also are, of course, running. We got our Can You Fit Me In radio show here. Uh, but the, the main thing is it's going to take a, a family uh, mixture bag of direct marketing to penetrate the market. And it's time related. It may take you years to become a success right by your measure but it may take you a moment to commit to the success and i'm gonna leave you with that thank you for checking in and um we'll get back with you real soon thank you for checking in with can you fit me in radio to uh, close out the show with something that uh, was going on with me today. Um, I'm I'm sorry, not today, earlier this week. Um, How I want to discuss how, how has it become okay to be stupid or ignorant? And when I say stupid or ignorant, there's a difference. Someone being stupid is someone with the inability to not want to learn something. And somebody being ignorant of something is somebody that just doesn't know. So why is it okay in society when we're trying to move forward in the world of business and education, which most of this show is really about, um, of technology or just in life why is it okay to be ignorant or stupid why can people say stupid or ignorant things around people that know it's not true and no one say nothing 
it shouldn't be okay. It should not be okay. And it's the same thing when someone tells you that you can't learn technology or you can't learn finance or you can't learn anything. Now, the difference is, do you have the patience to want to learn? Do you want to put in the time and effort to learn? Because in a world of social media where we judge by how many followers we have and basically you deem the success if you have some type of social media page with 100,000 or a million followers, you deem the success. But I say, no, you're not a success unless you can monetize that following. And the monetization of a following has to do basically, can you convert those followers into benefiting you financially or powerfully some way where you become influencers over them. Because there's a lot of people with social media pages that out there just naked on them, you know, and they got 100,000 followers, but they haven't monetized. And then there's people actually talking about stuff, you know, with some 100,000 followers and they're monetizing it perhaps through ads and stuff like that. Or there's a comedian out there that's telling jokes and, He's doing do entertainment, doing shows. So that's what I'm talking about when I say know your value, right? When you know your value, you can monetize it in a space that is different um, when you're trying to achieve whatever your overall goal is in life. I want you to bring the energy to your business, the same energy you get up every day and go to work with. I need you to bring that same energy to your process. I was talking this evening about cryptocurrency to someone. And they're from a school where they don't value cryptocurrency. It's not that I don't think they really don't understand it totally. They don't care about it, you know, because they can't follow um, or they, they can't follow the value in it at this point. It kind of reminds me of a conversation years ago when I had, when I was younger and I was talking to someone and I was talking about rap and how they told me that it was a fad. We all are in our own bubble and our own processes, but each opinion has a certain level of value. And if we take from that point of view that, okay, I'm just not into it. I'm not going to learn about it. That's fine. That makes total sense. But if we want to learn about something and get investigated new, we shouldn't be scared to voice our opinion, to learn and pass on information. So one day, maybe that information can help that person that maybe devalued it at the moment. I am a victim myself of my own bubble. I had a friend years ago that worked for a company called WorldPay. WorldPay is one of the biggest payment processes in the world. And I was part of the tech, um, the tech incubator before I went to the IBM incubator. And in this WorldPay incubator, uh, there was a guy who got the first Bitcoin crypto um, ATM in the United States. He got the first one. 
and he was working for this merchant processing company. And a buddy of mine was his good friend and he sat across from him. And he was trying to explain to us, listen, back then, Bitcoin was like 13 cent a coin. Okay, it was super cheap. He's trying to tell us that, hey, um, you need to buy some of this cryptocurrency. And we couldn't wrap our minds around it. Even though my buddy was in merchant processing, we was like, okay, so we buy this for what? You know, what are we going to do with our money? Like, how does it gain value? But we really, it really is not all the information that's out now. It wasn't available like it is then. So, but the truth is, we were ignorant. He and I wanted, were doing our own thing. I was building my software and I wanted to process money through it. So that's why I was there. And he's, he, he was an engineer and his job was connecting people with that money. And the other guy was talking about investing in something that was foreign us when we were totally smart enough to learn how to figure it out, but we weren't paying attention. That guy is a multimillionaire now, of course, right? Think about it. He got hundreds of these crypto ATMs. You go there and you convert your money on the spot without even basically putting it in your checking account almost. Um, or if it is in your checking account and it's converted from exchange, you know, you still he's got these crypto ATMs. So I'm trying to say that there's a difference between ignorance and stupidity in a bubble. And sometimes that ignorance can help you in the future. A lot of things come back around. A lot of things come back around. And sometimes, I don't know why society is it okay now, but don't let anybody let them dumb you down. You have to water down your intelligence to match somebody's stupidity. Now, you don't have to be condescending but sometimes people will say you're condescending if they don't understand you. Like they feel like you're talking over them because they're feeling bad about something they didn't invest in themselves. And I'm not talking about being degreed or using big words. I'm talking about they're feeling bad about not investing in themselves to follow with their statement. So they make a real blanket statement like uh, the U.S. economy is... Uh, not worth nothing and blah 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 all these companies are blah 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 or the world is flat right um, conspiracy theory statement maybe and some to me some conspiracy all have bases because they all clothed in mythology and stuff like they have some bases but anybody that's traveled the world or been up in a plane or ever shot a gun or a rifle or um ever been above 10,000 feet know the circumference of the earth is not flat right so but some people find validation in this process and these are the same people that will find validation when you're sitting there saying you want to build an app they can't monetize it in their mind right these are the same people that may say that you you know, somebody already built that. You know, these are the same type of people. So what I want to convey to you is that everything comes back around. 
economy in itself even has cycles. So do people. People have cycles, right? The innovators have cycles, right? So I was looking at this TED talk with this gentleman had him, who came from a hedge fund uh, or venture cap group. And he invested in thousands of companies over the years and he did some research. I'm sorry, I can't remember the gentleman's name at this time. Uh, but he did all this research about what made companies successful, small startups, like what made them successful? What's the difference in DNA in a company made successful? You know, is it the people? Is it the finances? Is it the idea? Is it, you know, the timing? Um, he tried to quantify these, these things, right? You would think, he wanted to know the number one reason. You would think the most important reason um, to make a company successful would be perhaps the, um, the idea, you know? If you got a hellified idea, you're going to make money, right? Or you'd be like, what's well, the people? Because without the people, the idea can't even get done. You know, people matter a lot, you know? And then you think, okay, maybe it's all these other things. Well, according to his research, the number one thing, once you kind of level out the rest of the things, let's just say all these other things are equal besides this one thing. He said it was timing. I sat back on that, thought about that. If you really look at the true successful companies and startups in the world, timing played a huge factor. That's just go to one that everybody I know is listening to this ready show look at looks at every day. Google. Google created a search algorithm that searched metadata differently in the way it pulled which search. And it was a timing moment where Yahoo was the biggest search engine out there. They were the biggest. And they had an opportunity to buy Google. And they underbid it like super low. They're like, we the best. They had a Mr. Wonderful idea about it. You want to crush you like a roach and you know, and that's that. People are in their bubbles. Financially as well. Generationally. A baby boomer or a super baby boomer bubble would be different from a generation Xer and then also a millennials bubble. Right? Millennials aren't like valuing anything the same that a generation Xer would or uh, a baby boomer would as a group, you know? They're buying less vehicles. They aren't owning as much uh, houses and things like that. They want um, to do things when they want to do it and they want to be happy with their job, right? A Generation Xer can go between both worlds. Um, and, a, and a baby boomer, you know, they're not trying to learn nothing new. So this gentleman also said, Later on, most of the economy is built around people with high school diplomas or less. He said, this is pretty much only 30% of Americans have 
a formal college degree of any sort. That means, you know, 70% of the economy is based on people with high school diplomas and less. And then 50% of the economy is built around manual labor, pretty much. People working in retail, transportation type jobs, physical labor, right? And there's something about to happen faster than um, we want to think. We keep talking about retraining people to, um, you know, get these other jobs, like be caught up in technology, right? But a lot of people, depending on their age, don't want to learn new technology, and we're not good at training new people. I'm not going to say all people, because that would be an ignorant statement, but some people are resistant to change, right? So the reality is... We won't be able to train everyone for new technology. But it's interesting to me when he made that statement, a lot of people will change for fun technology. Like making, using that app to make themselves look older. Right? People that I know that never used phones before messing around with that app, right? That's interesting to me. That's the kind of simple-minded things now that we do when we don't want to do it. But for ourselves, when it comes to re-educating ourselves, you know, to do some things, it won't matter. Everybody doesn't have to learn how to code. That's ridiculous. There will always be a need, far as we know, for some type of technical know-how to take care of a machine, even when artificial intelligence comes along. Artificial intelligence across the spectrum of things will affect a lot of us. And artificial intelligence, ladies and gentlemen, is already here in some form. Your Alexa, your Siri is learning right now every day on the phone. Your Bixby is learning every day, right? Your auto type is learning every second. So what you have to decide is in the new gig economy, where is your value? Because... What you need to know is because most of the economy, what they're not paying attention to, which he didn't even point out, is that if 50% of the population is, you know, let's just say a certain baby boomers are retiring and they retire with them, they may be super resistant to the new future technologies, right? But here's one thing they got money, right? They're going to be steady in their their money and they're going to want to do things the old way to a point. But they're always going to want a gatekeeper to do things a certain way, to go between worlds. And maybe you can find value there, converting, you know, some of the things that they want to accomplish between worlds, between something more modern to get done that they do in more of a manual way. Maybe you can find an opportunity there as a consultant or uh, an employee work for them it's a simple thing you know but it's a hard thing so depending on where you where you are you know if you go to Cuba right now you know those cars are old as heck (laughs) you know but it has a certain value so if timing is the most important thing it's better to be ahead but if timing is the most important thing for your opportunities 
how do you find value in the process of figuring out what your value is to completing your goal of owning some type of uh, technological advancement or being a part of finding your place in 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 it you know maybe you don't know anything about social media maybe you don't know anything about coding I swear to you that is not as relevant as the wisdom you bring from knowing about 25 years worth how the economy works how it really works or 30 years how architecture works or 15 years how road construction is work <laughs> or 10 years or how truck driving works or 50, 15 years of teaching works find your technical you your technical partner your innovative person find someone that can help you find your values there's a, there's a I'm not going to say necessarily a younger version of you, but there's a person that necessarily can help you find your new opportunity in this gig economy in the future. And if you want to build an app, you truly want to build one, then leave me a message, ask me a question, I'll respond back, and I swear to you, I'll be happy to share anything I know. And if I don't know it, I'm going to tell you where the raw is for where you can find it out. And if I'm not the one to help you, you're going to have to search around and reach around. You're going to have to start school again, ladies and gentlemen. Because I know a lot of you every day are sitting out there thinking, wow, you know, I got a piece of technology I want to build. And it doesn't have to be on the phone. It could be a gadget. Those are former technologies. Dr. Rashar told us the other day she built a valve, basically, that keeps our system uh, in the shower from cotton coal and we can also use this valve also to help manage the entire house to fluctuate and control the systems in the house house is pressurized a lot of people don't know their house is pressurized but it is so I say that to say that I want to thank you for your time and thank you for your patience and as usual I want to thank you guys for fitting me in and we'll be back next week take care